Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do terrific work. You can find out more and give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including special guest Bob Levy. He's the chairman emeritus of the Cato Institute. We'll continue our discussion on the nature and limits of federalism. We'll also visit with Professor Andrew Joppa, author of Josephus of Oz. It is January the 17th, and on this day in 1961, Dwight D. Eisenhower ended his presidential term by warning the nation about the increasing power of the military-industrial complex. His remarks, issued during a televised farewell speech to the American people, was particularly significant since Ike had uh, famously served the nation as a military commander of the Allied forces during World War II. Eisenhower urged his successors to strike a balance between a strong national defense and diplomacy in dealing with the Soviet Union. He did not suggest arms reductions and, in fact, acknowledged that the bomb was an effective deterrent to nuclear war. However, cognizant that Americans' peacetime defense policy had changed drastically since his military career, Eisenhower expressed concerns about the growing influence of what he termed the military-industrial complex. Before and during the Second World War, American industries had successfully converted to defense production as the crisis demanded, but out of the war, uh, what Eisenhower called a permanent armaments industry of vast proportions emerged. This conjunction of an immense military establishment and the large arms industry is new in the American experience, Eisenhower warned, and while we recognize the imperative need for this development, we must not fail to comprehend its grave implications. We must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence. The potential of the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. How really prescient these words were. Eisenhower cautioned that the federal government's collaboration with an alliance of military and industrial leaders Though necessary, was vulnerable to abuse of power. He's so right. Ike then counseled the American citizens to be vigilant in monitoring the military-industrial complex. Ike also recommended restraint in consumer habits, particularly with regard to the environment. As we peer into society's future, we, you and I, and our government must avoid the impulse to live only for today, plundering for our own ease and convenience the precious resources of tomorrow, he said. We cannot mortgage the material assets of our grandchildren without asking the loss also of this, their political and spiritual heritage. Such an important speech, and so prescient, and so really predicting what the future would bring for us. Military-industrial complex. Dwight D. Eisenhower, President of the United States. Well, U.S. stocks closed lower yesterday as Wall Street sifts through a latest batch of fourth-quarter earnings. Markets uh, right now look like they're going to open or open lower as well right now. So January is not turning out to be a very good month for financial markets. Entrepreneur and former uh, 2024 presidential president uh, candidate uh, Vivek Ramaswamy. <clears throat> Declared former President Donald Trump would shut down the deep state if elected back into the White House while speaking at a Trump campaign event in New Hampshire, 
which, by the way, was great. Uh, watched the uh, speech last night. Ramaswamy's appearance at the Atkinson, New Hampshire event Tuesday evening came the day after he dropped out of the presidential race and endorsed Trump following the 45th president's record-breaking victory in Iowa. The uh, 38-year-old Ramaswamy said in his impassioned popular speech uh, on pitch on uh, behalf of Trump that the nation is at war and that he is between the permanent state and the everyday citizen. He then said the country needs a commander-in-chief who will lead us to victory in this war. Channeling what had been a major theme from his own campaign, Ramaswamy said Americans are living in a 1776 moment right now and offered his view of what it means to be a Republican today. He said it means we believe in the ideals of 1776, ideas like freedom and merit and the pursuit of excellence that you get ahead in this country, not on the color of your skin, but on the content of your character and your contributions, and affirmative action and the DEI, uh, that's diversity, uh, equity and inclusion we also uh we are done with the nonsense and send it back home it means you believe in the rule of law and i say this in, as a kid of legal immigrants to this country that means you first act of entering into the country cannot break the law and that's why we need to use our military to secure our own southern border in this country that's what it means to stand for the rule of law in the United States of America. It means the people we elect to run the government need to be the ones who actually run the government, not the shadow government in the deep state that runs it today. He declared Trump will win the White House this time around and actually shut down the deep state. He also slammed Iowa's third-place finisher, former Governor Nikki Haley, on her Social Security policy and a policy proposal she since walked back about requiring social media accounts to very verified uh, individuals' actual names. And <laughs> she doesn't even use her own natural name, which is kind of ironic, which would effectively prohibit the use of anonymous online accounts. Trump praised Ramaswamy before inviting him to a, on the stage, saying he's a true leader and he's honored to have his support. After Ramaswamy spoke, Trump said he is going to be working with us and he'll be working with us for a long time. Ramaswamy was very impressive on the stage with Donald Trump and appreciated his impassioned comments. Trump was on fire as well, of course, uh, yesterday in New Hampshire. Well, CNN and NBC refused to air Trump's victory speech after New Hampshire or after uh, Iowa. The reason was revealed by M MSNBC's Rachel Maddow. According to her, the network had decided to silence Trump because they considered him to be guilty of wrong think. Wrong think. Maddow went on to uh, say that MSNBC had stopped giving an unfiltered live platform to the former president due to their fear of broadcasting untrue things. Can you believe this? They actually admit this. This is just unbelievable. This decision has been criticized by those who argue that the news outlets should not censor important political figures. No, they should. They should report the news. And they're uh, for that reason, just to find themselves as not being news outlets. Well, in juxtaposition to the president, what he's working to accomplish, Klaus Schwab, the former uh, founder and chairman of the World Economic Forum, called for the exclusion of the general public from the election processes. Schwab spoke about the potential of digital technology, such as artificial intelligence, to advance the World Economic Forum's agenda moving from analytical and predictive modes into prescriptive mode, he suggests that the predictive power of technology may someday replace elections, saying, 
Why do we need elections? Because we know what the results will be, said uh, Schwab. Schwab's comments indicate that he favors the use of technology to shape global policy and outcomes rather than through the Democrat process. It raises the questions of who will control the technology and who benefits from its use. This move towards a prescriptive mode would threaten the already fragile democratic process and could lead to the world to where a small group of unelected elites uh, hold all the power. And of course, that's Schwab's point. That's what he wants. Uh, Noah Hari, a senior advisor to the World Economic Forum, expressed concern about the possibility of President Donald Trump winning re-election this year. He believes that Trump's re-election could be detrimental to the global order. Can you believe this? Hari, I criticize the false binary vision presented by politicians, which pits patriotism against globalism. He claimed that politicians present the false idea that citizens have to choose between being loyal to their nation or being loyal to some kind of global government. Scary stuff. Got to be really careful about these folks. I know that uh, there's just a few very small percentage of people who are meeting in Davos, Switzerland, and uh, proclaiming these ideas, but nevertheless... I think they sometimes get traction, and it's very scary to think about getting rid of elections, for example, and having a world government. Donald Trump has the right idea. On Sunday, the Biden administration has formally requested that Texas to cease obstructing the U.S. border access uh, to a section of the U.S.-Mexico border recently taken over by the state's National Guard. In a letter addressed to Texas Attorney General Kim, Ken Paxton, Uh, Department of Homeland Security General Counsel Jonathan Meyer asserted that the deployment of Texas National Guard soldiers, equipment, and physical barriers is unconstitutionally impeding Border Patrol access to approximately 2.5 miles of the border. Meyer stated the recent actions by the state of Texas have impeded operations of the Border Patrol, emphasizing that these actions conflict with federal law and are preempted under the Supremacy Clause of the Constitution. He further contended that Texas measures improperly uh, attempt to uh, regulate the federal government. The letter demanded the immediate cessation of any actions by the state hindering Border Patrol's full access in and around the Shelby Park area. Highlighting an incident on Friday at fo- uh, involving the tragic drowning of a woman and two children in uh, Grill Grand and Eagle Pass, Texas, Meyer pointed out that Texas' failure to provide access to the border persisted even in cases of imminent danger to life and safety. The letter emphasized that despite exigent circumstances, Texas demonstrated a refusal to grant Border Patrol access for law enforcement and emergency response activities. The correspondence confirmed that the death of a woman and two children who drowned in the Rio Grande, the Department of Homeland Security reported that U.S. Border Patrol agents were prevented from entering the area on the Texas side. Uh, Governor Greg Abbott hindered the response, they say. The Texas Military uh, Department disputed the DHS statement, stating that their personal personnel were informed of a distress report but could not locate migrants in need of assistance in the river. This will probably end up in the Supreme Court. It's just so ironic, though, that when we prevent Federal agents from doing their jobs are really basically serving as the welcome wagon for illegal immigrants into the United States. Certainly understand the distress and tension between Texas, the National Guard, and uh, federal agents. Federal agents, quite, by the way, I don't think they believe they're doing the right thing by following orders to be a play welcome wagon uh, to illegal immigrants. 
What Deloitte's Global Automotive Consumer Study found consumer interest in the internal combustion engine vehicles is rebounding in some markets, surveying as affordability concerns continue to weigh heavily on forward intentions. Specifically, the United States, 67% of consumers say they prefer an internal combustion engine in their next vehicle purchase, up from 58% last year. Just 6% prefer EVs and 21% hybrids. Hertz, the largest uh, car rental company, announced it's holding a fire sale on 20,000 EVs that rental drivers don't want to rent. The company took a $245 million loss on EVs. The elevated cost associated with EVs persisted, Hertz Chief Executive Officer Stephen Schur said. Efforts to wrestle it down proved to be more challenging. Then to top it all off, an electric double-decker bus burst into flames in London, causing rush-hour chaos and what the Daily Mail called an inferno. It took three fire engines to put out the blaze. In other words, the appetite for electric vehicles, it's waning, and people are concerned about not being able to get energy and fill up their electrical needs. They're concerned about the distance these cars can drive, their expense. Uh, and now cars are just gathering on the lots. People don't have an appetite for this Green New Deal. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Bob Levy, Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. And now serving dinner, 4 to 8 p.m., Wednesdays through Saturdays, a terrific menu. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambos says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. 
everyone. Every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CallYourSeniorCenter.org. That's CallYourSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Andrew Joppa. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. He is the Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Always a pleasure. Good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and focused on free markets, private property, defending individual rights, and limited government, cato.org on the web. Terrific organization. I hope you check out the website, cato.org, c-a-t-o.org. So, Bob, for the last several weeks, we've been talking about the nature and limits of federalism. I'm wondering how these principles apply to the context of sanctuary cities and states. Yeah, the principles that we, uh, that we reviewed last time were that, first, that state officials don't have to enforce federal laws, and second, that Congress cannot mandate that states enact specific laws. But the third point is that states can't block the federal officials from enforcing their own laws. So how has that worked out in sanctuary cities? Um, Roughly 200 jurisdictions, both states and cities, have declared themselves to be sanctuaries for selected immigrants. And additionally, we have some states refusing to provide data data to the federal gun background check system. We have dozens of states that have legalized uh, marijuana despite the Federal Controlled Substances Act, and we have other states that decline to to expand the federal Medicaid program. So in the immigration cases, uh, Trump, when he was president, threatened to cut funding for sanctuary jurisdictions. That threat uh, may have been incompatible with federalism, As I stated earlier, federal law supersedes conflicting state law, and the states are not allowed to impede federal enforcement. But neither the president nor Congress can commandeer state officials uh, to execute federal law. So if the feds want their laws enforced and the local jurisdictions refuse to cooperate, then federal enforcement personnel uh, have to be used. And I also noted the the Supreme Court's requirement that there has to be a logical connection between any federal funding that the president threatens to withhold and the goal of the law that the feds want enforced. Accordingly, if the feds want to punish a sanctuary city by withholding federal benefits, the monies that are withheld would have to be linked to some federal immigration objective. So it couldn't be, for example, Oh, it's for overall crime reduction or, or some other purpose that's mm-hmm. not directly linked. And the federal appellate courts 
have affirmed uh, that principle. So interesting, Bob. You know, we have kind of a crisis going on right now down in Texas where uh, the state National Guard is not allowing federal officials, uh, Department of Homeland Security, to do their job, quote-unquote, according to the uh, Home Department of Homeland Security. I'm sure you're familiar with the circumstances. Yeah. Uh, this is, I'm sure, going to end up in court. But uh, to your point, they're obstructing, even though they're not doing their job, they're acting as a welcome wagon to illegal immigrants. Uh, they're uh, prohibiting from doing uh, what their assignments are. So, I think- Yeah, it'll be a fact-dependent inquiry, and if it turns out that the state officials are actually impeding federal enforcement, I think the courts will come down on the side of the feds. If, on the other hand, uh, the federals uh, are not actually enforcing the laws, then there's nothing to impede. Yeah. So so we'll, we'll see how that works out. It should be very interesting. I'm sure it's going to make it to the Supreme Court pretty quickly anyhow. Yeah, yeah. So let's turn to the uh, abortion case. Uh, what role did federalism play in the Dobbs decision overturning Roe v. Wade? Yeah, we've uh, mentioned uh, in earlier uh, interviews that you really have to separate two questions when it comes to abortion. You know, what what rights rights trump uh, the rights of the mother or the fetus? That's number one. Mm -hmm. And number two is who gets to decide number one. Uh, In in Roe v. Wade, uh, Justice Blackman, who wrote the opinion, he acknowledged that the threshold question is when does life begin? And that determines uh, whether abortion is murder. But then he went on to write, and this is a quote, we need not resolve that difficult question when those trained in the respective disciplines of medicine, philosophy, and theology are unable to arrive at any conclusion. The judiciary <clears throat> is not in a position to speculate as to the answer. So, ha- you know, having made that, I think, pretty powerful point, right. he proceeded to do precisely what he said the court was not going to do. <laughs> he, he decided that life begins after the first trimester. And uh, as he he intimated, uh, the core question, when does life begin, is not within the province of the federal judiciary. These judges have no special moral authority on these matters, and and the rules governing abortion are best left to the political process to be decided by voters through their state legislatures. And that's why Roe at least from a legal perspective, was a flawed decision. Mm. Uh, now it has been corrected uh, by Dobbs. So by assuming a legislative role and by intruding on state prerogatives, the Supreme Court in Roe violated two tenets of our, of our Constitution. One is separation of powers between the legislative and judicial, and second is federalism, which is our system of, of dual, dual sovereignty. So in that sense, forgetting about whether you think the court, uh, whether you come down on the pro-life side or the pro-choice side, this is this is a question of what's a function of uh, federal courts as against state legislatures. And in that sense, I think Dobbs got it right. That is so interesting. Well, thank you for that, Bob. Does the Constitution permit Congress to legislate a national right to abortion? Yeah, you know, there's some liberals who are upset with Dobbs, Dobbs uh, for which has state-by-state rules, they want Congress to uh, legislate a national right. So it would require 60 votes in the Senate to break a filibuster, and, and the Democrats, of course, don't have 60 votes. And, and then, of course, there is the, the Constitution. You know, a few uh, lawyers have argued that Congress's power to regulate interstate commerce could authorize a federal abortion statute. But, you know, the court has held that the Commerce Clause covers only the activities that are economic, and that have a substantial effect on interstate 
markets. Abortion is not an economic act. And uh, intrastate abortions uh, don't have significant interstate effects. So I think at most, you know, Congress might be empowered to regulate abortions involving women or doctors who, who are traveling across state lines yeah. uh, or possibly require that hospitals that receive a lot of federal funding, they have to provide abortions. Even that would be a close call. Well, it does raise the question, though, about, uh, and pardon my ignorance here, but, you know, uh, when you know, one of the things that the, the legislature can do or the federal government is to determine if somebody's been murdered, you know, and uh, while you can't decide when life begins, you can't decide when uh, when somebody's been murdered. Who gets to, is that a state province or, or is that something the federal government can decide? Yeah, it's a state province. I mean, unless you're talking about murders, murdering an ambassador, you know, or, yeah. or a federal official where the murder takes place in the context of some federal, um, from federal activity. But ordinarily, uh, those kinds of crimes, like murder, are covered at the state level. Thank you, Bob. So would a national abortion law to enforce the 14th Amendment be constitutional? Yeah, yeah there are other legal experts that have argued if you, if you can't use the Commerce Clause, <clears throat> then use the 14th Amendment. And that allows Congress to intervene when, the state, when a state denies a constitutional right. But, you know, Congress's authority under the 14th Amendment is to correct or to prevent. It's not to define. So, in other words, Congress can stop a right from being violated by the state. Congress can fix a violation if a violation occurs. But Congress cannot create or redefine the right. Yeah. So if a court declares there's no federal constitutional right to abortion, as the Supreme Court did in Dobbs, and Congress can't compel a state to recognize such a right. And symmetrically, you know, if Roe had been upheld, Congress could not have enacted a national abortion ban. So it, it works both sides of the street. So interesting, Bob. I got a, a last question. I got to ask you: the uh, uh, Colorado Supreme Court decided that Trump can't be on the ballot. Uh, how's the Supreme Court going to handle this? I suspect uh, that they're going to try, like uh, as hard as they can, to avoid. Uh, coming down on one side or the other, and they'll probably uh, handle it by resolving a very technical issue, either whether the president is, in fact, an officer of the United States or whether Section 3 of the 14th Amendment is self-executing. And most of all, they want the voters to be able to decide these questions, not five justices, on the, unelected justices on the Supreme Court. That's my prediction, but... Uh, we will soon see. We will soon see. Bob, I really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate it again. Thank you. Always a pleasure, Bob. Good to be with you. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network. Are you looking to buy or sell a home? Make it a convenient and stress-free experience by calling the dynamic and trustworthy husband and wife team of Megan and Matt Chionis with Gulf Coast International Properties. Find out about their unique and complimentary post-closing concierge services not offered by other area agents. Matt and Megan Chionis give you the competitive advantage to command a premium price for your property. They personally attend all showings, create a marketing strategy for your property, 
and offer that complimentary concierge service to your potential buyer. This hands-on approach has helped them set several sales records in Pelican Bay and many at near record prices. Megan and Matt Chionis understand that as an affluent buyer-seller, your needs and desires are unique. You deserve this level of service. Megan and Matt Chionis are passionate about the Naples lifestyle and they want you to enjoy it too. Call Megan and Matt Chionis with Gulf Coast International Properties at 239-269-5310. That's 239-269-5310. You have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Tim Garrett, candidate for Collier County Supervisor of Elections. He's a 33-year resident of Collier County, a military veteran, a retired sheriff's officer, and a graduate of the FBI National Academy. Stands for Safe, Secure, Ethical Elections in Collier County. Vote for Tim Garrett. Check out his website, votefortimgarrett.com. Paid for by Tim Gret, Republican for Collier County Supervisor of Elections. We have with us Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. We usually start off with some good news in our interviews on on Wednesday. Any good news for us? Well, I've got some good news. Let me uh, introduce a few quotations which I think are pertinent. Let me start out with a personal statement, which is 58 years ago today, I I left to go to Lackland Air Force Base and join the Air Force. Uh, Most of your audience is probably not aware, but I had been drafted into the Marines. Now, most people don't know that people were being drafted into the Marines. Uh, it is a well-documented fact that every draftee into the Marines became a, a, a field combat troop, and it had the highest rate of fatality of any particular segment of the American fighting forces. So uh, I, I rushed to get into the Air Force, Bob, because I was fully aware of the implications of that. So just, just going back a little bit to revisit wow. the, uh, the Vietnam process. So I uh, brought that up. Uh, a, a couple of quotes, again, that are, that are worth uh, mentioning. Uh, Dennis Prager said that if you say men give birth, we all know your position on a boss. Now, this is an interesting type of alignment, that if they say that, if they say men give birth, that it's the, uh, we know their position will be positive on supporting Hamas. Uh, and Prager lays it out pretty accurately, which he says it reflects a, 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 a totally encompassing, distorted moral value system, which is going to be applied across the vast expanse of, of issues. So that's the first thing he says. The other is that it reflects a, a constant intent to, uh, to damage Western civilization. So I think that type of quote, although it's limited to 
men giving birth in Hamas, I think it reflects a far larger problem uh, that we're seeing in America today, particularly among the younger, which is a distorted uh, moral value and their intent to, to damage Western civilization, Bob. Such an interesting observation. <clears throat> Robert uh, Malone, <clears throat> the, the great doctor, made a comment, uh, and I've forgotten the exact term that he talked, talked about purity, but it was about uh, really uh, virtue signaling. And he said it's become a phenomenon that's been so important in the United States. And, and taking a position in order to virtue signal and prove that you're stronger, better, more morally pure than uh, the person who disagrees with you. And it's, uh, it's another phenomenon that reinforces exactly what you're talking about. I mean, that's absolutely true. We can see that perhaps extended into what uh, the word is used, that's used is compassion for the, for the illegal immigrants. And right. that's it's a word that has no applicability. It's legal or illegal. It is damaging to American citizens or, or, or supporting American citizens. Those are the issues. So sometimes we invoke these words because they seem to have a, a moral purity to them, such as compassion. And yet, it is, they are totally inappropriate to invoke, uh, as, as in my illustration, the, uh, the border crisis is, is one of them. So, yeah, I, I agree with that, certainly, Bob. Uh, Victor Davis Hanson also had an interesting quote in American uh, Greatness, uh, where he said, we should dispense with the tired narrative that four conscientious state and federal prosecutors independently and without contact with the Biden administration uh, launched their... Uh, legal investigations into Donald Trump. Yeah. So, I mean, again, Victor Davis Hanson is, is pointing out what I think most of our, us are aware of. These things do not happen uh, as they're happening uh, by coincidence. So we're looking at, and the word has taken on a negative connotation, we're looking at conspiracies, and certainly with the, uh, the pattern of approach used by the legal system in America across the board, both at the state and the federal level, uh, to damage Donald Trump. I think is clearly a demonstration of a conspiracy, and that's what uh, what Victor Davis Hanson uh, has pointed out in American Greatness, Bob. Yeah, he certainly. Uh, I think he's absolutely right. And of course, you can include in that the whole notion of trying to keep uh, Donald Trump off the ballot using lawfare. Uh, you can also include you know trying to set up Nikki Haley as a uh, candidate who will garner. Democrat votes in order to defeat Donald Trump and keep him off the ballot, uh, off the presidential ballot. I really dislike uh, uh, Haley I, for a variety of reasons. Uh, uh, there's several I could cite her her loyalty, her misstatements about that she would not challenge Trump, and a, a variety of other positions, which is a extreme uh, uh, hawkish positions on on wartime environments and so forth. But uh, I just do not like the woman. Uh, it's not because she's a woman, obviously. It's just because her, her whole demeanor, I find to be, as a person who has studied body language, I find it to be uh, disingenuous. Yeah. Uh, I find that she is a, um, let, let me just use the word advisedly, I think she's a fraud, Bob. I agree with that. I, I totally agree with that. And I think she's willing to sell her soul in order to, for example, make a deal with the devil, in this case with the Democrat Party, in order to make sure that Trump doesn't get an office. I think that can be documented by, uh, by two things. First of all, uh, what can be seen in her source of funding, I think it mostly has been documented as coming from what would be seen as uh, sources on the left. And I think another very important statistic is the one that, uh, when surveyed, uh, the Haley supporters uh, indicated if she was not running, who would they vote for? Forty-three percent said they would vote for Biden. Forty-three percent. Wow, I did so not know that. So we're looking at a candidate that obviously is is not 
in the uh, in the ranks of of the of the MAGA people, certainly that. And I would not even include her in the ranks of the uh, the moderate conservative. This is a person who was seen by even her supporters as yeah. being someone on the left. Bob, I just can't understand at all what people take, why they take issue. I realize they don't like Donald Trump, but why they would take issue with trying to make America great again? That makes no sense to me. I, I have no idea. I think it's uh, just been a. Uh, a persona that's been uh, created by the media and by by leftist uh, politics. Uh, uh, look, I mean, I think anybody has faults. I, I really have not found anything significant with with Trump that could be put in that category. Uh, but this has been a entirely uh, artificial creation uh, by the left, and I think it's been picked up, unfortunately, by all too many on the right. Uh, who, in fact, uh, always include in their support statements of Trump, yes, but we have to understand his faults and his, his, uh, his, uh, his picadillos. Uh, so this, I, I, I don't see them. I have not seen them. I this has been I. an honest man uh, committed to the fulfillment of the constitutional requirements. Uh, he has pursued American interests that have been well documented by their, uh, their polling support among the American people. Uh, I, I do not understand it. Uh, as, as you indicated uh, to me, there is nothing wrong with the whole MAGA agenda. There's nothing in it that's extreme, nothing in it that, is, that would be in anything other than supporting uh, the American people, Bob. Okay, and I want to uh, continue the conversation. Can you stick around? These, these things come around very quickly. <laughs> yes, they do. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Two-thirds of parents prefer educational options for their children, with 40% strongly preferring options for their child's education. School choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit corporation, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior quality schools of choice. Optima's goal was the successful launch of Hillsdale College Varney Charter School, Initiative Classical Academies, and other schools of excellence across the state of Florida, serving kindergarten through the 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through a content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. And a terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy has already opened here in Naples. You can find out more by visiting the website Optima.Foundation. Help children in Florida optimize their educational opportunities. Visit www.Optima.Foundation. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. 
That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you, too. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse. Changing lives through exceptional theater experiences, and you can find out more and get tickets to some great performances coming up. You can visit the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us Andrew Joppa, a professor and author of Josepha Savaz. We'll continue the conversation with Andy. Andy, again, thank you so much for joining us. My favorite place to be, Bob. Uh, thank you, Andy. So, uh, tell us a- any more good news. I don't know if I've had any good news at this point, but <laughs> let's let's get into it. Um, I think it's good news that Senator Ted Cruz has come out and, and fully endorsed President Donald Trump. They've uh, they've had a contentious uh, relationship over the years, and uh, I'm glad to see Ted Cruz coming out and supporting, fully supporting uh, President Trump. What may not be seen as a good news story, and I, I see it as a good news story, is that the EVs have been exposed in this cold weather snap that we've had over the past several weeks. Yeah. Uh, they're starting, uh, their startup time is difficult, their, their battery capacity is dramatically reduced, their charging time has been dramatically expanded. So it's good news about, because I think, anything that demonstrates the, uh, the inappropriateness of this, uh, this mandate to move to EVs is an important consideration. So right. I, I think that is a good news story. And by the way, somewhat in keeping with that story, not exactly, but somewhat, I, I read an interesting statistic uh, just yesterday that uh, over the last three years, in the last three years, Western nations have spent $1.34 trillion on green energy investments, as they call them, $1.34 trillion. Uh. One can only imagine... Uh, where that money could have better been spent for for meaningful investments to uh, to improve the human experience, so they spent uh, one and one third trillion dollars on green energy, which uh, in the in in the long run will be will be useless. Uh, they started out as being useless, but I think that the the long run impact will be absolutely purposeless. Uh, and that we can add to that that hundreds of billions have been spent by private companies in that same time period. So we're looking at a major dislocation of, 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 of funds, uh, human funds, let's call them collectively, uh, based on this, this green energy situation. And let me just talk about a good news story in keeping with that, as long as we can have uh, one continuous story. Uh, recently, a poll indicated that one-third of, of young teenagers have, have now found significant problems with the, the current climate policies, and they, they, in fact, feel that the climate policies do more harm than good. Now, this one-third is not a majority, obviously, but I think uh, compared to where that, that population of people, older teenagers, was just a few years ago, that is a dramatic movement uh, in terms of a, of a, a more rational understanding of, of green energy policies, Bob. Uh, that's so true, and <clears throat> I think the average uh, person, uh, when polled, says that uh, they'd be willing to contribute uh, $10 towards solving the problems of climate change. A full third of the people would not want to spend one farthing towards that effort. And, of course, there are a handful of people that say that it is the biggest catastrophe of all time. We need to do, take all of our resources to solve the problem. But on average, most people don't see it as a threat, 
And if it were a threat, I think they want to have uh, uh, want to put more resources towards it. But the fact of the matter is, I, I mean, I feel for people that are having problems with their electric vehicles. I, <clears throat> I'm not suggesting that, but what I am suggesting, it actually is moving toward us towards and pushing that is moving us towards uh, a strategy for energy that just will not work. Well, I mean, that's true. If we just had the EVs in the competitive marketplace, uh, rather than being in the mandated marketplace as it is right now, right. Uh, then then you that's that's perfectly legitimate. You know, if yep. some uh, if somebody wants to buy one as a uh, as a toy, they're certainly fun to drive, and uh, you know they're they're an enjoyable experience. But they're they're not an all purpose vehicle. Later, they're not sufficient for uh, for the average person to to use on a daily basis to go to work, for example. Uh, so yeah, I mean, uh, just by putting them in the mandated category, I think they've re- reduced the the competitive implication that normally takes place in the marketplace, where products naturally improve, naturally become better, naturally become lower priced. That is the history of the competitive marketplace. It is not the history of mandated government situations, Bob. And just think about this: all these cars are piling up on the uh, dealerships lots right now. And that's with subsidies. I mean, we are subsidizing the uh, the sale of these vehicles. So, uh, what would happen if they didn't have subsidies? It's unbelievable. I don't know. I'd say <coughs> with the subsidies, you know, they're certainly that they're out of my price range. Yeah. Uh, and even you know, even even if I could afford one by by putting my my pennies together, Bob, uh, it's just not a convenient device for me to to use to drive up to Delaware to see my son and granddaughters. It's just not going to be in that category. So I'd have to maintain two vehicles, which is true of almost, uh, not almost, but the majority at least, of EV owners use it as a second vehicle, not as their primary vehicle. So it's not just the the initial cost and the the expense of operating and the the expense of repair. It's the fact that it requires a two-car family, Bob. And by the way, uh, just celebrating the fact that John Kerry has stepped down from position as climate czar <laughs> I'm talking what, what a loss yeah i mean what a, you know, i just can't stand listening to that guy bloviate i hope he uh, ever since his magnificent uh, vietnam career and right. his falsification essentially falsification of documentation of, of medals in vietnam coming back and and, and condemning the troops um, american troops in vietnam as yeah. being similar to the forces of genghis khan as he called them in front of congress uh, this has been a despicable character uh, including his campaign against george w in in 2004 so this is is not a good man this is not a man with a sense of integrity and i think that's uh, been true for his entire career bob well Let's just think about this. He's resigned his position in order to help out Joe Biden in his presidential campaign. That <laughs> make, makes me laugh just to think about it. Yeah, people will be flocking to Joe Biden because of... And by the way, let me, let me just talk about Joe Biden before I get into the caucus discussion. Uh, I've been hearing you know, more and more conversations, of course, on, on uh, online and uh, on uh, network television, cable television, uh, about the election. And I find it quite remarkable that in none of these conversations is there any mention of the potential of voter fraud. I, I'm not saying they should uh, retreat to 2020. I'm not saying they should go back and, and say 2020 was a fraudulent election, which I believe it was. Yeah. But at least to recognize this, the significant implication of fraud as a component in the 2024 presidential elections. Yet, 
even on Fox, or no matter where I go, it is almost impossible to find anyone who includes fraud as a significant part of any discussion about the upcoming elections. That's an interesting observation. You are absolutely right. But it is an issue, and it should be discussed and uh, brought to the fore, because uh, many states have taken, taken big steps in order to eliminate fraud from the process. Many haven't. In fact, I think many have reinforced the the uh, fraudulent uh, things that support uh, fraudulent uh, elections. Uh, they're maintaining them in their in their current process. Well, I, look, I've maintained a position that if Joe Biden is the nominee, it only means one thing. And this is my my personally held view. I can't document it, uh, but I think it's it has some sense of uh, being valid. Uh, if Joe Biden's the nominee, I think it indicates the left believes that they have captured the election in advance. I think that's what they thought in 2020. Right. I think that's why Joe Biden stayed in his basement for the entire campaign, uh, because the left believed. And as it turned out, they had the left, they had their election in the bag before the votes were even cast. So this is my greatest concern. Yeah. A Biden nomination will, to me, indicate a significant commitment that the left has made to voter fraud, Bob. I agree with that. Andy, we need to take another little break. Can you stick around? I'll be here, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. They help prepare elected officials to have winning strategies in their elected office. And you can find out more by visiting the website, vfga.org. 
org. We continue the conversation with Professor Andrew Joppa. Andy, again, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good to be here, Bob. So, Andy, I'd be very curious to get your reactions to the Iowa caucus and uh, President Trump's victory in Iowa in, during the process. What are your thoughts? Well, I think it was an amazing victory, which is well documented. It's the uh, widest plurality that anyone's ever achieved in Iowa. Uh, I think for a, uh, a previous president who had lost a re-election bid and is now three, over three years out of office uh, to accomplish what he accomplished is, is amazing. No other president in the history of this country has ever, has ever done anything that could uh, co- compare to that. Uh, so his number of 51% exceeded all the other candidates combined. Uh, I think it, it, uh, it indicates that uh, this is the, uh, the trend, I think, we're tre- it's not a trend, the pattern we'll see unfolding uh, across America, at least that is, that is my optimism. As far as the other candidate, the candidates, I think that there's a good news story there for me. I was very pleased to see Ron DeSantis uh, finish second. Uh, I, I have a, a real commitment to seeing this man uh, maintain a strong, commi- a strong uh, political presence. Uh, I have a feeling if he had lost uh, and come in third in this, in this caucus that it would have significantly diminished him. I think that coming in at 21 uh, percent is, uh, is not dramatic, uh, but I think it, it maintains the Santos as a viable political figure, not for this, not for this primary season, uh, but going into 2028 and perhaps as a, uh, a political component of a Trump presidency, hopefully. So uh, that was a, a good news story coming out. Of it. Uh, as far as, as Haley, uh, she apparently uh, gave a, uh, a speech that she had prepared to make when she presumed she was going to finish second to Trump, where she said this has now become a two-person race. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure uh, how, as, uh, you know, it's strange, Bob, as soon as I was, uh, I was watching that remark as she made it, and I presumed she was going to drop out. Because I think that was the only logical thing to presume when yeah. when she had finished third, uh, but she finished uh, she finished third, and her statement just had uh, uh, it was just totally out of place uh, for the situation. Um, I, I developed during the Iowa uh, caucus uh, season a real respect for Vivek Ramaswamy. I really like this guy. I hope he mm-hmm. uh, is a significant part of a uh, of a Trump presidency going forward. Uh, he is bright. He is uh, knowledgeable. Uh, very, very quick on the uh, on the on the delivery. Just, I think he's an amazing young man, and I think that he uh, he deserves a role in the in the American body politic. Uh, for for him to come out of nowhere and even pull eight percent in the caucus as he did, uh, I think that was a significant showing for a man with with no prior public impact. So. Uh, I think those are those are important considerations. Now, as we as we look at this thing, um, you know, I think it also demonstrates to those people that were trying to prosecute or persecute, let's call it Donald Trump. I think it must send a message to them. I mean, Jack Smith, Alvin Bragg, uh, Letitia James, Fonnie Willis. I think they must have said, "My, my goodness, I mean, uh, what what about all the hard work we did to to try to destroy this man? Didn't it have any any implication?" And I believe it, it apparently has done nothing uh, but help Donald Trump. Uh, so I think those are, those are some of the issues that, that come out of this. We now go to New Hampshire, Bob, mm-hmm. uh, where you have a crossover voting potential. Democrats can vote for Republicans, Republicans for Democrats. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know what 
<laughs> New Hampshire will indicate uh, Haley is is fairly close, not uh, not 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 breathing down his neck, but fairly close to Trump in New Hampshire. Uh, DeSantis has essentially uh, just negated the potentials of, of New Hampshire. He's immediately going to South Carolina. Right now in South Carolina, Trump is, is leading over Haley, her, uh, her home state being South Carolina, uh, by a considerable margin. Uh, so I'm optimistic that if South Carolina goes, as the polls indicate, and Haley loses South Carolina dramatically, uh, I hope she drops out. I do not want to see Ron DeSantis at this point point dropping out. I would have advised them not to have ever gotten in. Uh, but I think if there's anything that interferes, legally interferes, with the ability of Trump to run for the presidency, uh, I think that Ron DeSantis has to be there uh, to, to, to pick up the MAGA hat uh, and wear it for the rest of this, uh, of this process. Uh, I'm not uh, predicting that Trump will not be allowed to run, of course. I think that's a very unlikely scenario. But I want to see Ron DeSantis there and Ron DeSantis strong in this process. So um, uh, those are my just thoughts quickly on this. It's, I think it was a, a great victory for Donald Trump uh, and indicative of a man who has incredible uh, appeal for the American voter. And of course, to watch the, the voices on the left almost uh, go insane as they start to talk about this. I know. And, you know, I think uh, <clears throat> Reed just started to describe it as a, uh, a horror show of the evangelical right in Iowa de- delivering this victory to, to Trump. So uh, just an amazing victory, Bob. Yeah, two, two comments. Uh, first of all, Ramaswamy, I, one characteristic you didn't mention that I think is true, I think he has charisma. I think he uh, he sparks uh, energy, and uh, I I think he has a great future in politics going forward. I, I just really I saw him last night. He gave when uh, Trump gave a speech in New Hampshire. Uh, he introduced Trump introduced Ramaswamy, and his comments were just absolutely brilliant. I thought he did a, a great job. Again, I really like this guy. During his campaign process, he never attacked Trump. He he just said that the MAGA agenda needs stronger legs at this point. And I, I think a case might be made that that there's a certain degree of truth to that. But nobody is 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 Donald Trump. Uh, but I think Ramaswamy now that he supported and uh, completely uh, supporting Donald Trump. Um, I think that is a strong addition to the to the Trump team and the Trump candidacy, Bob. Absolutely. The other comment I'd want to make is that, uh, quite frankly, I think Nikki Haley is in the race until she runs out of Koch brother money. I think that's that's very accurate. I. Uh I, I see nothing in her candidacy except that she's been propped up by uh, by money from the Koch brothers and, and other leftist sources and the media who really who really want to have uh, uh, Haley. I think more so than anything else, diminish Donald Trump. Absolutely. Well, Andy, I always appreciate your comment here in the show. We had so many other things to talk about, but we've run out of time. But I just genuinely appreciate your coming on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. There's always next week, Bob. There is always next week. Thank you, Andy. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. We've got some great guests lined up for tomorrow's show as well. I uh, hope you enjoyed the show, and I want to thank you so much for listening. I hope pa- pass the word on to your friends and acquaintances if uh, about the show. Uh, because it supports our advertisers, and we can't do the show without them. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. 
For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>